This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning, everyone. I hope that uh, you have a Bible in front of you and you have a notebook and you had a good night's sleep. Uh, it's really wonderful that we can come to Genesis chapter 2 uh, after we looked at Genesis chapter 1 last week. So let's go to God in prayer now as we ask God to help us to really get to the heart of what he is saying here. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for last week we learned that you are such a great, mighty, powerful and majestic God. And we pray that this week, as we look at your creation, as the creation of man and woman, that indeed we will learn more about you. We will learn more about the world that we live in. And uh, we will be able to know how best to know you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, I'm going to start off today uh, with a poll. So I want to begin by asking you the question, is God good to me? Right, so just take a moment to think about that. Is God good to me? Okay, so you're not sure. Yes, no, he's not good. Uh, maybe, depends on what, what sort of uh, time, what sort of season of life you, you find yourself in. But answer honestly, it's all anonymous anyway. And it gets us in the right frame of mind before we actually look at the passage itself. So I'll just give you another five seconds. Is God good to me? Okay, so uh, <clears throat> the majority of you said that uh, God is good to you. Uh, one or two of you said, that, uh, one person actually said, no, God is not good to me. Now, I think that it's, uh, it's good to reflect on this question uh, because I was reading a book recently about someone who uh, had been diagnosed with cancer. And cancer, you know, actually I didn't know this before I read the book, it's called a dread disease. It's called a dread disease. And part of the reason why it's called a dread disease it's because when you're diagnosed with cancer, you dread what is about to happen to you, uh, the, the, the suffering of cancer itself, but not just the suffering of cancer, but the suffering of the chemotherapy, of the vomiting, of the fever, of the body aches, the hair loss, and the body pains. And on top of all that, you might still die. And so as you ever, uh, if you ever come across a case where you are uh, affected by some great illness. Uh, I was reading this book, which I'll refer to later, when your doctor has bad news. You will inevitably ask the question, is God good? Is God good to me? Does he really care for me? So last week in Genesis chapter 1, we looked at the big picture of creation, right? So uh, if you remember, we looked at how God is called Elohim. He is powerful and he's mighty. So in the beginning, there was darkness. And out of this darkness, God brought forth light. And with this light, uh, the worlds, the galaxies all came about. He created the solar system. He created the earth. And he created life on earth. Now today, we're going to be looking much more closely uh, to what is probably the sixth day of creation. So last week, as we were looking at Genesis chapter 1, we realized that God shared his name as Elohim, God, the mighty creator. But it doesn't really tell us a lot about his relationship to man and woman. He really doesn't tell us a lot about whether he is good, and more particularly, good to 
us. So today what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking primarily at the sixth day, the creation of man and woman. So as we look at the creation account of man and woman, I'm going to begin just by looking right at the very beginning of verse 4, which was read to us. And I want you to pay close attention to what is being said, because there is some curious structure which we sometimes miss when we read it too quickly. So in verse 4, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, if you look at verse 4, if you pay really close attention to it, you'll notice that there's this really interesting structure. So this is the account of the heavens. It said God made the earth and the heavens. It says this is the account of the heavens and the earth, when God had made the earth and the heavens. And this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God had made or created them. And so you notice here, there's this pattern, right, of like a, like a, a I guess the outside coming into the middle. And what do we see right in the middle of verse 4? We see that the Lord God had made the heavens, the earth, and they were created by Him. And so, if you notice here, if you look in chapter 1 of Genesis, God had always been referred to as Elohim, as God. But here we are given the personal name of God Himself. And what is the personal name of God? The personal name of God, it says here, is the Lord. Okay, And the Lord here literally is uh, the name of God, which is Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is like the personal name of God. It's not a descriptive name of God, but it actually tells you the name of God himself. And so this hints to us of how God, when he creates man and woman, it's like he introduces himself. He gives his own personal name to show that he is personal, he is present, and he is relational. So if you remember from last week, uh, last week we saw that God was a mighty, powerful God. But here now, right at the very beginning of the creation account, the sixth day of man and woman, we see that God is not just a powerful, majestic God, but rather as we see the name of God in verse 4, we see that God personally in presence and in relationship wants to have a, a, a relationship with his creation in man and women. Now, once we understand that verse 4, which introduces what's going to happen, we are now then able to understand a bit more of what actually happens in the passage itself. So let's now then go to verse 4 onwards to 5, which is uh, in, in this passage. So verse 5 says, uh, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Okay, so here we see uh, that it says in verse 5 that there was no shrub that had appeared on the earth and no plant that had 
sprung up. Now, you might sort of think, well, this is a bit weird, right? Because eh, when we read in, the, in, in Genesis chapter 1, the plants had already come. Uh, the, the plants had already come after the water, but here, here there is, there's no plants because there's no water. So what's happening here? Well, I think what's important is to understand this word, the earth, right? Uh, so this word here, the earth, can mean a few things. It can mean the whole earth, right? It can mean uh, a region or it can mean land. So I think that as we read verse 5, I, I, I think it's better to understand it as a, a place or region or land. And here in this region or the land, it says that there were no shrubs and there were no plants. Now why is that? Why was there no shrubs and no plants in this region or this land? Well, the reason is found here for God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. So there were two problems here in verse 5. In this place, in this region, there was no plants because there were two problems. There was no water for the plants to grow because God had not sent rain. And the second problem was there was no one to work the ground, no one to plant the seeds, no one to irrigate the fields. There was no one to work the ground. So God then goes about solving the problem of the lack of rain and the lack of someone to work the ground. So how does he solve the problem? Well, it says here in verse 6, he solves the problem of the water by sending streams to come up from the earth to water the whole surface of the ground. So that's problem number one solved. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So here God solves the second problem. Right? Two problems, no water, no one worked ground. So God sends streams to come up and water the whole surface of that ground. And then God formed a man to work the ground. Now, I want us to pay attention to the creation of man because it shows there that the life that, that we have, that men and women have, is not a right, but rather it is a gift of God. And so when we see here, that God had formed a man from the dust of the ground. Uh, he's literally saying that man is made of dust. Man is made from the ground. Uh, so later on, we were introduced to this man called Adam. Uh, it's actually a, a play on the words in the original language in Hebrew because Adam sounds very much in the Hebrew as ground, right? So Adam and ground are like, they rhyme together. So man is from the ground. And really, we're no special from, uh, say, a cup. You know, this cup is molded from clay, which comes from the ground. So if you think about it, uh, we are no different from uh, the, the, the clay or the mud which comes from the ground. Uh, and when you look at the cup, the cup has no life, right? So um, if, you, if you look at this... Uh, picture other son gave 
his brother this cup many years ago. And you see there's a human body there, right? The muscles and the human skeletons. But just because uh, it has the picture of a human doesn't mean that it has life. But what God actually does is, if you look at the passage very carefully, it actually says that God, from the ground, molded, right? He, he formed a man, or in the sense like he molded, just as, a, as, as, as someone molds a cup, okay? He formed and molded a man, like a cup from the ground. And how does the cup or the bowl or the man have life? It's because God himself breathes life into the man and the man becomes a living being. So what do we see here? We see that God, Yahweh God, who is personal, present, and relational, is a good God. And He is good because He gives life to man. So He is good because He gives life. He is a life-giving God. He has good intentions towards man. Because if it wasn't for God, we would be no different from the cup. Right? We will be no different from the cup. We will be like inanimate like the cup. We'll be like clay and just sitting there. But God is the one who is good, who gives us the power to walk, to breathe, to live, to talk, and to enjoy life. But that is not all. Right? God doesn't just give us life and then depart and leave us. What it says there is that the good God who gives good life makes a good place to place man in. So let's look at verse 8 to verse 14. So in verse 8, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A tree watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of the Hevelah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic raisin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, and it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, and it runs along the east side of the Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, if you look at this land, it is called Eden. Now, Eden here carries the ideas of paradise, ideas of luxury, ideas of pleasure and delight. And what a garden it is, because truly this is a garden of delight and paradise and luxury. Because in that garden, there were trees, all kinds of trees, and they were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life, also this tree which is going to get them in trouble later on, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the garden was watered by many, many rivers. Uh, the garden had gold, which was good, had minerals. And so altogether, this place was a good 
garden, a good paradise. And in this place, we read that God put the man that he had formed. Now, uh, for those of you who uh, have uh, children, uh, I remember when I was, uh, when I had kids, um, you know, a few months before your child is born, you spend time preparing the baby's room. And you spend, you know, a lot of thought, a lot of preparation in doing so. You buy the best in terms of, you know, the, the furniture. You, you, you set it up so it's very nice. Uh, you paint the walls. You make sure the fan is there to cool the baby. Uh, you know, everything is set up just so. And I think that's exactly what God here does, isn't it? Uh, in the same way as we care for our babies before they're born and we set up this perfect room for them. So God, after he creates man and woman, creates this beautiful garden paradise, a wonderful, abundant, luxurious delight, Eden. And he takes man whom he's formed and puts him into this wonderful world that he has created. So God is good, not just because he creates man and gives life to man, but he is good also because he creates Eden and puts man into Eden. Now, Genesis 2 doesn't end there as well. Uh, Genesis 2 uh, goes on and tells us how God goes even beyond that. So come me now to the rest of Genesis chapter 2. And here in verse 15 it says, The man took, sorry, the Lord God, the Yahweh God, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God <clears throat> commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his mother, father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the first thing, that I want you to uh, notice here is that man is not put into the Garden of Eden for leisure, uh, but rather he is meant to work and to care 
for the land. He's meant to work it and take care of it. So I liked what someone said in my, uh, in my Bible study group, right? He's, met, he's uh, in the Hokkien, right? He's there to jokang and to jaga the place, uh, okay? To do work and to guard the place. Now, why is this important? Why is this actually good for man? Well, if you remember, uh, last week when we looked at Genesis chapter 1, man was made in the image of God. So when man was made in the image of God, uh, do you remember what we said uh, the reflection of the image of God was? Okay, so for those of you who can't remember, uh, here's the picture again. It was to rule and to have relationship. That was what being made in the image of God was like. And so part of ruling the world was not to sit back and to give orders, but to actually and to jaga, to work the ground and to guard and take care of Eden. Now, one of the problems that we see here is something really shocking that happens. Because as we look at this passage, we see that God says a really shocking thing. Because he says it is not good for man to be alone. Now this is really shocking because through the Genesis account, as we've been going through it systematically, we have never seen anything in God's creation which is not good. It is always good. In fact, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, it was very good. So here as we look at the Genesis 2 verse 18 account, when it says it is not good, it's like a shock, right? Why is it not good for the man to be alone? Well, the clue comes where it says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this idea of helper uh, is actually the idea of where there is a weakness. There is um, something which is lacking, some deficiency. So the man himself is given the task to rule, to work, to jokang, to jaga, to take care, to guard. But he cannot do it alone. It is not, he doesn't have, some, somehow he needs something else in order for him to fulfill the role, to rule, to work, and to watch over creation. And that's why God sends him a helper. And the helper is not so that uh, this helper is meant to serve Adam, right? He's not meant to you know, bring drinks for him and to you know, bring him slippers or something, but rather the helper is to help him in ruling and working and watching over creation. Now, this is a blessing from God because God actually sees Adam, sees that he is unable to do what God wants him to do by himself, and God sends him a helper. Now, this is even more important for us because as we remember from last week, a part of being in the image of God, remember we said, is not just ruling, but relationship. And so man was not meant to be alone. He was meant to be made in relationship. Part of the image of God, part of being in the likeness of God, as we understood last week, 
was relationship because God was always in relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so in the same way, God sends a woman into the life of man so that together they can fulfill the image of God or the likeness of God completely in ruling the world and in relationship to one with one another and in relationship to God. And that's why uh, this is such a wonderful picture that we see in Genesis chapter 2. A good God gives life to man. A good God makes a very good paradise to put man in. A good God allows men and women to fulfill their image of God within them to rule the world as well as to have relationship with one another. And the end of the passage is actually a wonderful one because it says there in verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And here as we look at the very end of Genesis chapter 2, we see a beautiful image of where men and women are in perfect relationship with one another. They are perfectly suited for the work that they're doing and working the garden together in a complementary way. They have no barriers in their relationship with one another. And they are united under God's rule, in God's place, serving God faithfully. So as we look at Genesis 2 as part of the overall story of the Bible, uh, I think what we're supposed to see here is really that God is a good God. So God is good. God gives life, gives life to men and women, allows them to breathe. He, 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 he breathes life into what is inanimate. He brings about this wonderful garden of Eden, paradise, and he puts man and woman into that garden. In the image of God, he has made them, and he allows them to fulfill that image in ruling the world and to have perfect relationship with one another. So God is not just good, he is so good. Now, this is very important for us in terms of application, because we said that uh, in last week's passage that the, the creation account of Genesis comes into a world which has a very different view of God. So in the ancient world, uh, they had many gods. Okay, So remember last week we were saying that there were many Sumerian gods like Baal and Dagon and Marduk. Uh, even the Mesopotamian gods, they had many, many different gods. Uh, the Egyptians had many gods as well. And even the many, many centuries later, the Greeks had many gods. And in, in the view of the ancient world, basically human beings were like the playthings of the gods. But here we see an altogether different picture. That God is a good God. God means good to men. He gives life to men and women. And he gives them a perfect world to live in, just like a parent would give a, a beautiful room to their newborn baby. He allows them fulfilling work and fulfilling relationship, which is consistent with the image that he has given them. Now, what a wonderful picture that is compared to uh, the world that we live in today. Because in the, if in the ancient world, 
people believed in these gods who were fickle and jealous and, and manipulative and bad gods, then the world we live in today believes in no gods. Right? So uh, I remember reading this quote by this biologist who says, man is the result of pointless, right? pointless and purposeless process that does not have him in mind. It's like we're an accident. Right? We are no different from the cup that comes from the clay. Or like what Shakespeare's Macbeth said, uh, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, fury signifying nothing. But I want to say that as we read Genesis 2, uh, that is absolutely false. Because in Genesis 2, we see a God who is good, who is personal relational, who cares for his people and gives them the very best. So I was reading this book, uh, J.R. Packer, Knowing God, 1989 edition recently, and he made this very good point. He says, you know, uh, people change, but God does not change. So, you know, people change. You know, maybe when you're young, you're very generous, but when you get old, maybe you're very stingy. Or maybe you know someone who's, when they're very young, they're very carefree, but when they get older, they are very, uh, they become a worrier. Or maybe when they are young, they're very reliable, honest, but something happens and they become liars. But God is not like that. So God's character is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so if we read in Genesis 2 that God is a good God, He is a relational God, He, he made and gave life to Adam and Eve. He is a good God who made a good Eden and placed them in it. He allowed them to fulfill the image of God completely in His goodness. And that is the character of God towards us as well. We can trust that God is good because we see in Genesis that he is a good God and God does not change. The second thing that I want to think about as we look at the Garden of Eden is death and suffering. Death and suffering. So I'm going to give you another poll. Okay, so what do you think? What do you feel when you are faced with death and suffering? Okay. What do you feel when you're faced with death and suffering in this world? Okay, just take a moment and think about it. It's a deep question. What do you feel when faced with death and suffering in this world? Okay. So, uh, some of you say you are confused when you see death and suffering in this world. The majority of you say you accept it as part of life. 13% of you said you were angry and 25% of you said that you are not sure. Now, I want you to think back to Genesis chapter 2 in God's original good creation. Do we see death and suffering in the Garden of Eden? We don't, right? We don't see death and suffering in the Garden of Eden. And that's very, very important, I think. Because once again, as part of our understanding of the overarching creation story in the Bible, in God's good creation, in his original intention, there is no death and there is no suffering. So for instance, I want to show you uh, what one of the alternative creation accounts, the Babylonian creation accounts, the Numa Elis says about creation. 
says, man is not at birth an innocent and pure being. A divine blood, to be sure, flows in his veins, but of a guilty and reprobate God. It is a polluted blood that carries sin and death. They, the gods, have unleashed a sin pair, sin death pair. Through the gods, evil has entered into the world. Now, I want you to see how different that is from the Genesis account. Because the Genesis account says a good God made good man where there is, there is, he put him into the good garden of Eden where there is no death and there is no suffering and there is no sin. But in the Babylonian ancient creation account, at the very beginning at creation, there was already sin, there was death and there was evil and the gods themselves were bad. But that is not the case in the creation story of the Bible. So when we actually read the Bible, when we actually read Genesis chapter 2, it actually should fill us with hope and encouragement. So again, I was reading this book, When the Doctor Has Bad News, and he made this very good point. He said that actually, when we read the Genesis account, we should look to Genesis account, and it is almost like nostalgia, because we realize that death and suffering are intruders into God's good world. Because when we read Genesis 2, that was not the original world that man and women inhabited. There was no death and there was no suffering. So something happened later on which brought about the situation that we experience today. And what is the experience that we experience today in October 2020? Uh, we live in a world where truly there is a disease, right? COVID everywhere. Uh, there is death and there is violence and suffering. And so we live in a world which is far, far removed from Genesis chapter 2. In fact, when we look at Genesis chapter 2, we can't even recognize it in the world that we live in today. So where do we go from here? Well, then next week, I'd like to invite you to come to look at Genesis chapter 3 to see what went wrong in this good world that God has made for us. But in case you don't have that patience, then what actually the Bible is telling us is good God made a good world and put Jesus, God, as when we put Adam and Eve in it, and the world became bad, then the whole Bible story is about redeeming the world back to this wonderful situation in the beginning. So what was good has become bad, and the whole Bible coming, culminating in Jesus is the whole story of how God is bringing humanity, man and woman, back to this wonderful Eden-like situation. And that's where we will come to right at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And the only way that we will be redeemed and brought back to this Eden-like situation for man and woman again, without death, and without suffering, is through the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. So I hope that as we look at today's passage, it's taught us a lot about God. It's taught us about, a lot about creation. It teaches us a lot about the world that we live in and how really we are living in an unnatural world and God is bringing us back to the real original creation intent that he had right at the very beginning. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to thank you for your word. 
We thank you so much that you are a good God, that you are a God who does not change. You showed your goodness in the creation of the world. You showed your goodness in the creation of man and woman. You showed your goodness in the creation of Eden and putting man and woman in it. You showed your goodness in allowing man and woman to rule and to have relationship as you gave them your image. Dear Father, we confess that the world is not like this today. It is full of death and suffering and violence and evil. Dear Father, we pray that as we read Genesis 2, we may long for a return to Eden, a return that is only possible because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world to save us and to redeem us and to bring us back to the original intention, the original world of Eden. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.